scriptures this morning that I won't have on the board, so I encourage you to pull out a Bible this morning and turn to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7 is going to include our first reading, so, so please turn there with me today. Maybe just take a quick opportunity to also say Happy Mother's Day. We have so many wonderful and great mothers throughout the audience all over this building this morning. We appreciate you. You're loved and you're appreciated. Uh, even though we often don't show that, uh, we are sorry about that, and we do appreciate you and love you very much, and uh, Happy Mother's Day to you. We have a, a topic this morning that we're going to be talking about that is one that's embarrassing, it's avoided, it's an uncomfortable topic, it's not one that's usually talked upon, and, but it's one that we think is very important and one that we need to address, and we want to talk about these things this morning. Sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage of a husband and wife or is sexual immorality or the way we're going to define that this morning. We're going to use that in a broad sense to include adultery, fornication, and, and kind of all those sins that kind of fall in that category of sexual in nature. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. The world and what it teaches on this subject and the Word of God and what it teaches on this subject are polar opposites. They're very opposite of what they teach and what they, uh, about this subject. The world is very pushy and very outward in what they express about this particular sin and what they teach regarding it. And the world is not silent. It's very vocal in, in its spread of this topic. There's a lot of lies and deceptions that are surround this topic that are around us in our, and that we're exposed to on a daily basis in our sexually obsessed society that we live in. It's easy for us as adults, I think, as mature Christians, maybe some of us that are older, to just say, you know, yeah, we know those things are wrong, and, and we don't need to be a part of that. So it's easy for us to brush aside the topic or avoid the awkward conversations with our friends, with our coworkers, with our family, with our kids. So it's easy to brush that aside a lot of times because it is a difficult subject to, to address and talk to uh, about with someone. So with all the, the hype and the media and the buzz that's around us all the time, it is a very important and very prevalent subject in our society, friends at work. And there's a real and obvious danger that is around us on a daily basis. It's something that we uh, are in, in danger of becoming confused on and being fooled by of what the real truth is regarding the subject because there's so many lies that are all around us. Turn in Proverbs chapter 7 as we read several verses, maybe the whole chapter in this particular section. Solomon knew the, the dangers of this particular sin in his society and the culture in which he lived in that was around him and his world. So it's, it's not something that's new. It's something very prevalent, something we need to worry about. It is a real and present danger. Proverbs 7, verse number 1, My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. Keep these things. Understand what I'm saying and know them and understand them. Skip down to verse number 6. For at the window of my... Well, actually, let me uh, go ahead and read verse number 5. That they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Okay, so he's talking about this immoral woman, one who's a seductress. I want you to think of this immoral woman this morning as being sexual immorality that each and every one of us are affected by. Okay, so this is what we're trying to avoid, the something that is dangerous to us, something that is prevalent in our society. 
Verse number six, for at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple or the foolish or naive, I perceived among the youths a, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and there was a woman that met him with an attire of a harlot and with a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she called him and kissed him with an impudent face and said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. It's okay. It's all right. You know, we hear that everywhere in our society. These things are not that bad. It's okay. I've made amends with God. I'm forgiven. I have grace. It's all okay. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. Verse 16, I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield or to turn aside. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would take his life. And now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths for she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell descending to the chambers of death. Solomon knew and realized the dangers of this, that it can cost you your soul, it can cast you into hell. There's danger lurking on every corner in these things that are around us that are so prevalent in our society that we're told they're normal and okay. You know, recently I sat down with several kids in this audience and asked them, hey, really, how much are you exposed to these type of things? at school on a daily basis? How, how much, you know, gayness is there around you? How much, uh, you know, of all these different subjects that we think about, gender identity and, and atheism and all the things that, that they're exposed to at school? Some said on a daily basis. Some said, well, it's there. You know, we see it on a daily basis. Maybe they're not approached with it or have to address it on a daily basis, but some said that they did on a daily basis. So this is real. It's prevalent in small canyon, Texas, America. It's a real and present danger. I spoke with my brother-in-law yesterday. He's from Austin, Texas, and he said there's a huge push, as you can imagine, in Austin, Texas at this time of all kinds of these type of issues. He said by the third grade in the public school systems, they're really pushing to identify that year, and when you're in the third grade, what you're going to be, whether you're going to be a boy or you're going to be a girl. And parents are scared to death. He said he talks to them all the time. Parents are scared to death, don't know what to do. They've got to make these decisions. These things are being pushed in the public schools of that area. So this is prevalent. It's important. It is dangerous, and it's something that we have to address, and that's why we're talking about some of these things this morning. And I hope that some of the things that we, we say benefit you. Because certainly the time for being silent is past. That time's all past and gone. We've got to address this, at, if, if, at least with our own family, at least with our own kids, and tell them what is true and what is right and what the Bible teaches and sit down with them on a regular basis because they're being bombarded with it daily. They see it all around them every day. 
We have to tell them what these, the world's lies on this subject and on this matter. So what is normal and what is true? According to the world and according to experts in this world, they're going to tell you that all the things listed on these slides are natural, that they're normal, and that you need to embrace them and to accept them. This line or standard for morality or what is normal and what is true has been blatantly blurred and it's been confused and it surrounds us all. Chaos is surrounding us all. We're told that we need to embrace these things and accept them as normal or the new norm. And that certainly that is not true, is it? Satan and society by, by movies, by TV, by media has been working on us for decades to desensitize us to all these things that we have listed. To make them think that it's, it's normal. And the more we get exposed to it, the more we become desensitized to it. Look at this picture here. This is called a sea arch. A sea arch, you know, this is, used to be a, a solid piece of rock that stuck out into the ocean. But maybe there was a little defect, or maybe this is a stronger area of current, or whatever the situation might be. But through time, slowly over time, it's just beaten against that shoreline, and it's slowly eroded, and the waves have crashed against it until the point that it breaks a hole right through the, the rock, and the water goes through. And just like that, or similarly to that, that's the way Satan has worked upon us. And all these things work upon us to desensitize us until it's just, well, it's just the norm. It's not that big a deal. It's around us, but, you know, I'm just going to avoid it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to talk about it or do anything about it until we're no longer bothered by these things as much as we used to be. And we're uh, criticized and made to feel bad anytime we do take a stand about it. And we're going to talk some more about that later. And you may think, well, you know, these things are, I'm really not that tempted by these things, or maybe I'm not affected by these as much. Well, there's a lot of different things that are maybe some grayer areas, I don't know if grayer is a word, maybe more gray situation uh, that, that come our way that maybe lead to these type of sins that we just had listed on the last slide. Okay, so what about movies that we watch? What about websites that we visit, social media? things that we see, negative things that pound on us and erode us away little by little, day by day. There's a lot of things that we have listed here. There are many possible dangerous pitfalls that can lead us or lure us straight into sexual immorality. Maybe it's small things that eventually lure us and lead us that way. That's exactly what Satan wants to do. So it's important that we have a plan to protect ourselves against them. You know, there's a... Becca was saying yesterday, sometimes her mom gets on to her for saying that she's too strict with her kiddos. And she said, well, you didn't raise kiddos with one of these. And she held up her cell phone. <laughs> you think about all the dangers, all the influence that they are exposed to day by day on the internet, on the cell phones, just to click away how easy it is to see images that we shouldn't be looking at that draw our minds and our hearts away from God. It's real. It's prevalent. And it's all around us, and it's dangerous. You know, it's easy to think in our hearts and in our minds, you know, it's just, a, it's just a picture. It's just a website. It's just a movie. All these things are all around me all the time, and I can't totally separate myself from these things. So, you know, hey, just maybe embrace it. <laughs> That's what the world wants you to think and what it wants you to do. But I want you to think about this too. Trevor talked about it just a few weeks ago 
God's desire for us is to be what? To be holy, to be like Him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, it says, But he that hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, in your way of life, in the way that you live, in the way that you walk and talk and act and think. Be holy. Be holy, for I am holy, he says. Christians have a higher standard. The standard that God wants us to live to is to His standard, to be holy, to be like Him. That's His desire for us. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible for someone who is very spiritually strong and spiritually mature to be drawn away by some of these things? We read in Proverbs chapter 7 how strong men, many fell to it, fell to this woman or fell to sexual immorality. Strong men are drawn aside. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 24, it talks about not being deceived. It talks about the deception of the very elect or the chosen. We can be drawn away. And it's very important that we not be, that we stand strong and firm. I know of in the church, a leader in the church that has left the church. And this is my thinking. I'm sure there's more to it than what I know and what I think. But this man has left the church because his wife was in a profession that had a lot of homosexuals in it. She befriended them. She was friends with them. And over time, like a sea arch, she was worn down and said, you know, these people aren't that bad, like, like people say. They're, they're honest. They're sincere. They're loving. They're caring. And I'm sure that wore her down time by time. And now they've left the church. Now they've embraced that and taken on that idea. They would say that people are just intolerant. People in the church and Christians are just intolerant. And they don't, they're not loving and caring. And they're evil and wicked. And look, I'm not for mistreating anyone and treating anyone bad. The Bible is obvious in the way that it says, hate the sin and not the sinner. We're not to hate those people. We're to reach out and love them and teach them and tell them the truth. However, intolerance or this tolerance and acting like everything is normal and sinful is not right either, is it? We can't just act like that's all okay. We're called to stand for the truth, and we'll talk some more about that other as well. But teaching God's will and telling others about that. So what is the truth? The truth is God's Word, and it's His standard. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to do some reading there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a a definite push. We've been talking about this world's attack or this world's push on us to destroy the truth, to destroy God's Word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the chapter right before this, Paul has just rebuked the church at Corinth for immorality, sexual immorality that has entered into the church, and people weren't doing anything about it. They were just tolerating it, and he gave them the remedy for that. He told them exactly what they ought to do. They ought to separate this person. They ought to use some church discipline. So why? Why would they be ugly to this person? (laughs) So that they might repent. They might return to God. They might be in the place that God wants them to be. That's his plan. Now in chapter 6, he gives them God's standard for morality and his desire for sexual purity for all of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye were washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. There's several other verses that are listed there that have similar lists to this particular section of verses that we just read. But the point is, and what he's saying is, these are lost. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And the world and others would say, well, how cruel and how unloving and how uncaring. What a terrible and narrow-minded attitude that you have regarding these type of people. There must be a standard. There must be a measure or tape or um, a scale, a balance for us. And we all... I promise we all want that. (laughs) We all want there to be a real standard. God's standard on morality and desire for sexual purity and holy living is righteous and pure and holy. How could a loving God, you've heard this, this question before, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? That's not what he wants. His scripture and his word, he tells us that. In First Peter, or Second Peter, chapter three, and verse number nine, he's long suffering. He's giving people time to turn. He wants us to all repent, so that we won't perish. It's not his desire that people be thrown into hell, but there's got to be a measure. There's got to be a truth. There has to be a standard, and his word is that. It's written down for us, and we can learn it and see it. Let me give you an example about. You know, we have. I can't remember exactly what it's called. I see the little. Uh, sticker on the gas pump every time I fill up, but uh, I think it's Department of Scales and Measurement or Weight or something like that. But if I went to the gas pump and I pumped in and it said a gallon of gas that I got and I got one ounce, I'm going to be mad. (laughs) And so are you. If I go to the gas pump and I get a half a gallon of water and a half a gallon of gas with every gallon, I'm going to be mad and it's going to mess up my car and so are you. We all want there to be a standard, uh, all want there to be a truth and something that's held up. We don't want there to just be chaos and just accept everything out there. Nobody wants that. We need a truth and we need a standard, and God has blessed us and given us that. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 20, or excuse me, 12 through 20. <clears throat> to live up to God's standard, we all need to understand the value of a soul or value of our body and soul. We're going to loop those together this morning. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 26, it says, For what is a man profited if he'll gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We all know the value and the importance of a soul to Jesus Christ. How important that is. He died for it. Let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse number 12. All things were lawful, are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. <clears throat> so we can't just uh, go participate in sin because we have liberty, because we have freedom, because we have grace in Jesus Christ. He says there in the first few verses, our life and our body are not about uh, no self-satisfaction and fulfilling of our fleshly lust. The body is not designed for sexual immorality, he says, but for the Lord. We are created to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and not some perverted relationship, a moral relationship. You're not born gay. 
You're not, not born a male or a female. You're one or the other. You don't get a choice in the matter. You're either a boy or you're either a girl. That's the truth. We've been created by God for a specific purpose, and that's to have a relationship with Him. And that's what is important. You know, think about a Corvette. You know, I've always liked Corvettes. And, and, but if I want to uh, go, you know, through the desert or through the, through the sand and through the mud, and I'm not going to buy and have a Corvette for that purpose. It's not designed for that. It's dysfunctional in that particular environment. It's not going to do any good. It's going to fail. And we're not created to be in this type of environment. These things that are prevalent in our life, this sexual immorality, we're not designed to that, for that. We're designed to have a relationship with God. Let's look in verses 15 through 17. <clears throat> Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Our bodies, our members are a part of Jesus Christ, a part or a limb. You know, he gives us the example in John chapter 15 of how he is the vine and we are the branches and we are to bear fruit. He's the trunk of the tree and I'm just a branch off that tree that is designed to bear fruit. So am I going to cut myself off from the, the branch, which is going to kill me? <laughs> it becomes a piece of firewood when it's cut off from the branch. That's what gives it life. Am I going to cut myself off from Jesus Christ and join myself to a harlot? God forbid. Of course not, is the point he's making there. That's not what we're designed for. When we, we are joined, we are married to Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Scriptures talk about the church being his bride. How does he want his bride? He wants his bride pure and a virgin. One that's pure, unstained, not caught up in immorality. That's his desire for us. That's his desire for his church. He desires for us to be pure and holy. And it's about a much greater relationship, a spiritual relationship with him, and not about these other things. Let's look in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20. 18 through 20. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If we commit sexual immorality, we sin against God and we sin against our own body. Oops, sorry. <clears throat> Got lost there. Hang on just a second. Okay, back to where we're supposed to be now. <laughs> Our body is, is where the, the Holy Spirit dwells. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we receive the Holy Spirit, he dwells within us. Our body is where the Holy Spirit dwells. We are not our own. We're bought with a price. He has purchased us. We're not living for ourselves. We're living for Him when we're a Christian. We've given our lives up for Him. He's purchased and redeemed us. Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. It's our reasonable service to live our lives, a living sacrifice for Him. Our body is the temple of God, and it is meant to be that place that performs the holy work of God. What activities went on in the temple? Sacrifice. What God told them to do? Atonement for sin? 
That's the type of place our body needs to be. A place where God dwells, a place where the Holy Spirit dwells, where the work of the Lord and sacrifice for Him is being uh, partaken in. Sin and immorality doesn't belong there. It's no longer is our body ours. Christ bought it. It's His. We cannot do, just go ahead and do whatever we want to do. So let's look at uh, this verse a little bit more in verse number 18 through 20. He tells us some certain things here to, to flee fornication. God is clearly telling us that sexual immorality is dangerous to run from it. It's a difficult and hard sin to overcome, and we don't need to get close to it, turn and run away from it. It's an extreme reaction or requires an extreme reaction. You know, when I come up on a snake, I'm scared to death of snakes. Have been my whole life. It doesn't matter if it's a six-inch garden snake. It's a spitting poison cobra to me. I don't want any part of it. I don't want to be around it. I'm going to flee and I'm going to run from it. Don't want to be anywhere near that. Because God is telling us about the danger of that. And he tells us to glorify him. These two concepts, flee fornication, glorify God. Honor, esteem, praise, worship, magnify him. And he talks about this sin of fornication or sexual immorality, and, and he says, every sin that a man doeth is without the body. So what, he, what does he mean by this, this without the body? It, doesn't, it basically means that it, a lot of sin or in general, most sins don't directly affect our body immediately. Some do, but they don't all in a general sense. It morally affects the mind. And it breaks us down over time, like the sea arch, doesn't it? Eventually, we become more and more sinful. But the more immediate effect is on the mind. But sexual immorality produces an immediate and direct effect on the body also. It affects not only my body or my physical body, but my mind and emotions and strength and mentality and all those things together all at once. I came across this quote I want to read to you. Perhaps no single sin has done so much to produce the most painful and dreadful diseases, to weaken our physical health and strength and to shorten life as sexual immorality. Other vices, such as gluttony or drunkenness, do this also, and all sin has some effect in destroying the body, but it is true of this sin in an imminent degree. It is highly addictive. I don't know what the most addictive drug is out there, but I assure you that sexual immorality is just as addictive. It's easy to fall into. That's why God says to run from it, to get away from it. It's easily hidden. You know, we talked earlier about that cell phone. You know, it's easy to be driving down the street or sitting in your car, being all alone anyway, isolated, and look at things that you shouldn't be looking at. And man, it's easy at the push of a button on your cell phone and on our computers internet access, all these things that we have access around us that we're just constantly bombarded. It's so easy nowadays. And it's easy to hide that and to keep it secret. And that's one of the reasons it's so dangerous because we can sit over in our little corner and act like everything's great. I'm this great and wonderful Christian, but I've got another side to me that everybody doesn't know about. We've probably all fallen into that trap at some point. In some way or fashion or another, I've got what used to be a very close friend that's fallen into that, struggled with pornography all of his life, fallen into that trap, couldn't kick it. 
couldn't get out of it. And now he's at the point where he's like, well, I'm not sure if there's, you know, the whole Jesus thing is really true or not. See how it's ruined his life? You see how dangerous this is? Yes, a strong man, one of the strong, a strong Christian can be demolished and destroyed by these things. And that's why it's important that we talk about them with our kids, with our coworkers, those we, our friends, those we come in contact with, and help them through these difficult sins and watch ourselves too. See, when we overlay these two principles of flee fornication and glorify God, which is in your body, in your spirit, some of those things that we mentioned on the grayer situations earlier come a little less gray. It comes a little bit easier. A lot of things that we've talked about this morning about avoiding and fleeing and, and running from fornication and look out and uh, all the different things that you can think of that we've talked about this morning. When we overlay these principles and remember that we are gods, those greater situations become a little clearer. And we can use God's Word as our filter and see what we need to do in those situations. What would Jesus do? Would, you, would I be watching this movie if Jesus was here? But are we wearing this if Jesus was here? See, some of those things become a little less unclear. Don't let sexual immorality be a part of your life. And do not be deceived by anyone, by your friends, by your coworkers, to convince you that it's okay to participate in these things. It's all right. It doesn't matter. Don't participate in those things. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, the Scriptures say, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For we know that the commandment we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel or his body in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of such. And we will also have for, as we have also forewarned you and testified, for God hath called us Unto un, not unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Again, a higher standard, living holy and righteous. We mentioned earlier as we close this, this morning, we mentioned earlier about this, uh, this criticism and shame that is assigned to anyone in our society who would disagree with the sinful cultural norms that are being pushed today that we've talked about this morning. And there's a lot of um, you know, shame that's associated with that, or well, they've tried to shame us. And we hear things like, you can't judge me. Or we, have we really come to this point in our history of our world which morality can no longer be judged objectively? Where you have your morality, I have my morality, and we need to meet somewhere in the middle? You know, it's not about what's being right or what is right, but about you accepting me and me accepting you and respect each other's morality and privacy. And this idea that the worst sin that is possible is intolerance of another person's set of morals or values and ideas. These things are all prevalent in our world that are around us. A lot of us in this building are old enough to remember back in 1998 about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, about that scandal that went on at that time. The President of the United States uh, became... Uh, involved in a sexual relationship with an intern that was in his office. 
at that time. And a lot of people were interviewed about how they felt about that situation, about what was going on in society and the, you know, what, what happened in that event. And they said, well, you know, we're, we're not ones, to, a lot of people said we're not ones to judge or who am I to judge someone else's morality and that's just a private matter, not something we really need to talk about and think about. Is that really the case that we don't need to stand up for what's right? That we don't need to take a stand and, and say, this is what God's Word teaches. It's not, not that hard when we look at against God's Word. You know, America, our country was built upon those high morality and values that were based upon, Bible-based values. Our country was built upon that. And therefore, our strong and rich and powerful you think of other societies that have become rich and strong and powerful, and what happened to them? Ancient Greece and ancient Rome. What happened to those societies? They were rich, man. They were powerful. But their morality slipped. And so much sexual immorality involved in those particular societies was definitely a huge part of their downfall. And it's becoming a huge part of our downfall as America, too, as Americans. And it makes us sad as we look at that. You know, the, even God's people, the Jews, chosen people, were destroyed as a nation largely due to their um, venture into pagan religions, which included many forbidden sexual practices. That was part of their downfall as well. Don't let it be part of your downfall. Stand for what is right. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 11, it tells us to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Point out the wrong. In a loving and caring spirit, he tells us in Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Do not let the many lies and deceptions wear away your morality. Trust and follow God's word and follow his standard. As we close, I want to give you an example of something that I read in a book. There was a young man that had a, a convertible, and he was cruising down the highway there on the, in California in this convertible. A warm summer day, and there was a beautiful young lady jogging by in her bikini. And he notices her. He turns and looks and watches as much as he can and nails the car right in front of him and totals his, his little nice sports car. See, sexual immorality is all around us. It's every man's battle is the name of this book. Many of us have, have read that book. We've studied some of these things together, and it's important to think about and talk about these things. We cannot let sexual immorality overtake us, or it will destroy us as we read and learned and studied in the Scripture this morning. I hope that if you're here this morning and there's anything that the church can do for you, if we can pray for you, encourage you in these situations. It's, it's not something that, that we don't all struggle with to some degree. We're here to help one another. We're here to reach out and to love one another and help each other be more holy, be more acceptable to Jesus Christ. If the church can do anything for you, come forward as we stand and sing together.